Hi, listeners. Joe jumping in here to say that this conversation really follows directly on the heels of Monday's episode. And so it functions more as a two-parter and there's no real kind of going back to what we talked about. So if you have questions, if the episode does not start to make sense about like five or six minutes in, go back and listen to Monday's episode and then come back to this one. And other than that, Enjoy the show. One, two, five, nine. Father, preacher, servant, leader, rector, reverend, deacon, elder. What the hell? Yeah, I don't know. I, I, uh, I, I've said what I said. I think that the emergence thing is um, fine, but I think that it. I think we have to get. We have to be okay with a lot of things. So I'm not always sure we're okay with right like it it would seem to me then that order is an illusion which just is another way of saying that morality is an illusion you know like like if 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 at the end of the day it's all chaos and we've simply emerged without necessarily a guarantee of like you know uh, uh some kind of spiritual intelligence or spiritual purpose you know that that is behind all of this or is in actively engaged with this then uh, there are a great many things that have emerged in in the chaos that strike me as very strange. <laughs> like, like, I mean, maybe that's part of the randomness, but like any, our desire to like make a better world would, would feel very um, futile, you know, if we just simply emerged in that of kind of lawless chaos, because, um, at the end of the day, everything that's making us is, is chaotic then. Yeah. And then, but I still can't then shake drive or impulse that like, it's a very, it feels very concrete and real to make a better world. Sure. I agree with you. Uh, That's something I agree with. And I am, you know, it's not because I'm any better than anyone else. Sure. Or more holy than anyone else that I can, that I have that drive or impulse. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we could chalk it up, I guess, to biological imperative that, you know, but that still feels too reductivist to me. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I, I also tend to think, I, I don't spend a whole lot of time thinking about this, this, what I'm about to say, but I tend to think that like, the very fact that we are equivocating any of this, like our, our consciousness and our, and, and our, you know, sort of moral agony <laughs> over some of this is, is uh, I think by itself, pretty decent evidence to at least make us, make us think that maybe it's not just chaos all the way down. Because if, if like consciousness emerges from chaos, I mean, that's, that's a totally, it's like the opposite of chaos. Yeah. Right. Like, I mean, what we're doing, you know, even in this discussion and, and what you said, like there's like an imperative, a drive to make the world a better place. Yeah. Words like words, like world better and place are the opposite of chaos. I mean, you could say that it's a, it's a drive against entropy. Sure. We're desperately trying to stop entropy from increasing. Mm -hmm. But like, isn't that 
existence continuing this goes back to your like god is existence thing like then that's just a drive to continue existence and that to me feels without moral consequence it's just reality existence exists to make more existence and to combat entropy well except existence is not creating more existence i mean i mean it expands right like there yeah. are there are more existent things now than there was. The universe um, is literally getting bigger all the time. Right, but un- until the point where uh, matter and antimatter lose their like, one of them wins out, and matter has already won out. See, we exist. <laughs> you bastard! Don't you get it? Right. <laughs> no. well, like, I, like I'm thinking on the scales of trillions of years beyond of us. Uh, like, yeah, I'm thinking about the fact that there is anything. Yeah, there's going to be, there will be a either slow heat death or a big crunch. Things will still exist. Well, but and that's that's the ontological thing, right? Really? Like, yes. Well, is yeah, that ontological. It is like like so. Even if I do want to talk about irresistible grace, but like so, there's a. I think it was Alvin, one of those one of those early two thousands Protestant science and theology guys. Mm, that's the one. He had a a long. Um, sort of thought experiment uh, to try to prove the existence of God um, that I think is really interesting, but I also think is just inhabits a metaphysical scheme that I don't find terribly compelling. One of his, the, the thought experiment was, is like there, oh, I'm, I'm going to butcher it, but I'm going to do my best. If we imagine that there are an infinite number of worlds, there has to be at least in at least one of those worlds, God exists. Sure. And he sort of suggests that because uh, at least in at least one of those worlds, God exists, we should sort of work under the assumption that uh, any coherent definition of God as and he uses like Anselm's like the great, you know, the most perfect, perfect we can imagine or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, we should have we have to sort of come to the conclusion that God should be exist should exist in every number of those possible worlds i'm i'm butchering it completely but um there's one particular uh, there's a criticism of this where they the the critic goes well what that only makes sense if we can imagine if every world we can imagine has stuff in it yeah you know um some some worlds just might not have anything yeah, and and by and by world we just you know they really he really just means like cosmos right like an Universe. infinite number of universes. Um, some universes just might have nothing in them. I mean, um, about half of them should have nothing in it. Right, and what I find, and and I think that's true. Where where I think like the metaphysical scheme, that whole argument breaks down if we just adjust our metaphysics. I'm not a Neoplatonist or anything, and I know you aren't either. You know, I, I get that. But, like, that would not work for, like, a Neoplatonic Christian. A Neoplatonic Christian would say, actually, you've got it backwards. There is an infinite number of ways in which God uh, 
Um, uh, I'll, I, I, I'm going to butcher that, so I've got it, but I'll, I won't say that piece. The point is, a Neoplatonic philosopher would say, you, the, you've misunderstood. If you can call a universe a universe, it has being, even, oh, right. even if there are no existent things in it. Yeah, if there's no matter, there is still space time. I guess. Right, right, and so and so from like that sort of Neoplatonic God is beyond being or the source of being, God is still God, <laughs> right? Like if we we we've now just imagined a, a sort of an empty universe, but the, but the emptiness of the universe uh, is still a thing. A Platonic philosopher or Neoplatonic Christian thinker might say, actually, I think Maxus the Confessor says this. He says, God is the is in it is, and God is the is in it is not. Hmm. 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 Oh, okay. Now, this is this is a that's just a metaphysical parlor trick in a lot of ways. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but I also uh, think it's worth remembering that like like once the i i don't think we want to i don't think it does us any good to imagine god as a being even in like a process metaphysic when we imagine this sort of being and becoming thing i don't think it helps us i think it it obscures things and it causes us to like ask very weird questions and and give odd answers about like God, if God is simply a being, you know, even if God is the biggest and strongest being, then, uh, you know, God, then all God is subject to things like space and time and is subject to um, not just a moral critique, which we should always be critiquing God morally, but is subject to like our moral restraints, which is not what we want, right? Like right. We, we definitely don't want that. <laughs> That's, but we, that's the that's the question is a thing good because god does it or is god do it because it's a good thing exactly and if god is a being even if god is the nicest fucking being on in in the universe it's always arbitrary yeah if god is just a very large being then god commands a thing and it is good because God commands it or God does a thing and it is good because God does it or God wants a thing and it's good because God wants it. If God is beyond being, if God is not a being in any proper sense, that's, I think the only way logically we can have this, like the good is good all the time kind of a thing, right? Like that's the yeah. only way we can imagine that God does things because they are good because the good and God are the same thing or beauty and God are the same thing. Right. Yeah. And unless we want to give that up, that's why you end up with like God needing to be this wholly separate thing rather mm -hmm. than something that emerges alongside us, along with us that we co-create whatever. I mean, that was always my, my thing. And um, the problem of evil, class that I took at Wesley is that like, I, I primarily need God to be more moral than me. I need God to be more good than me, better than me, because if I am better, if I make, 
a good choice that is better than the choice that God would have made, then like God is not worth worshiping. God is not God. God is not something that I'm going to build a religion around. God is not somebody I'm going to show up and tithe to, right? Like if I am better than God, what is the fucking point? Well, and let me just. None of this is irresistible, Grace, but. Well, we're going to get there, but I want to say one more thing and then I'm going to stop trashing process thought because I love Ian. (laughs) I don't, (laughs) I don't want to trash, trash stuff that Ian likes. Um, it's not really a trash like so like how process metaphysic gets around this is is by well, they do it in a couple of ways but like one of the ways they do it is is simply by redescribing what the good is mm. right like if you know because god in in like say an alfred north whitehead metaphysics because the world and god are two entangled eternal realities of mm. becoming um the the goals of god god's sort of you know what god does both in god's essence which is like keep keep creativity alive you know for everything and what god does as sort of god's purposes in the world which is to to make creation to, to lead the creative creativity of the world into ever better things like alfred north whitehead sort of redescribes the good as being sort of centered around like um, um, the maximizing of like positive things. I don't mean to sound like I'm oversimplifying and I don't think I am like Alfred North Whitehead imagines that like God's loving purpose in the world is very concrete. How God shows love to the world is by leading the world into becoming in increasingly better more productive, more pleasurable, more, more, um, maximized ways. Mm -hmm. And I think that's fine. I, I really do. Like, I don't, I don't think that that's not connected to how I understand God and, and the good, but it's not properly the good then it's the good for. Hmm. And that's fine. Once again, that's all fine and is a part of stuff. But sometimes what is good for one part of creation is not good for another. Right. And, and, and we have to imagine in, in if we're going to take it in, in like an Alfred North Whitehead way, we sort of have to accept that there's going to be slag. Like there's going to be there's going to be the refuse of that process. Right. Mm-hmm. And so and so we sort of have to accept that as God leads being or leads the world into its becoming in more creative and spiritually good and, and, and you know, all these ways, we have to be OK with the idea that, well, some people will die. Right. And some parts of creation will die and will be passed on. And that's not God's fault, because remember, God's not doing any of that. That is that is just reality. It's just sort of the well. That's just how it is, you know. Becoming involves um, things falling off and passing away. I, sometimes that's just how it is, guys. I'm not here to like fight out for North Whitehead on it or whatever. But like, I do hope we see at least for me, I see how that like runs up against like some of my impulses as like a Christian who who was trying to do like ethics in the world, right? Like there's a eugenicist bent to Alfred North Whitehead. 
Yeah, or or maybe not bent, but like the possibility for eugenics is right. not excluded. I mean, this was something that I like in my application to the honors program at Carolina. They uh, brought us onto campus and had us talk about this article about um, the people who live in the trash heaps outside of Lagos in Nigeria. And the there are this article ended with like maybe these are the superfluous people of humanity. Like maybe these are the their existence is superfluous. And I had to look up word superfluous as a senior in high school. But once I had, I was like, are you kidding me? Like I this was one of the first instances where I couldn't keep my mouth shut when we were talking about it in in the conversation. All these rich kids are over here being like, well, you know, I mean, we can't save everybody. So I, some people do just have to fall by the wayside. And I'm like, are, what? What are we saying? So yeah, I think that that, that is the thing that perpetually haunts me about evolution as saying that like God invoked evolution as the process by which creation would become more diverse and become manifest is that evolution has a lot of waste evolution requires a lot of death and pain and hardship and loss and time in order to do its work. That's, you know, why we talk about nature being red in tooth and claw, right? Like, if and if that is the ideal process, if this is the best of all possible worlds, then once again, I think the God is not God, a God I want to be with, and heaven is not a place I want a ticket to, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I hear all that and I am left with a, I could be trying to have my cake and eat it too. That is where for me, there's the, the way things are, don't have to be. And this is what King talks about. He says, we need to maintain divine discontent at the the state of the the world mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and at the same time like this is the best language that i have for understanding or or or, or not understand, but like expressing expressing depicting well this is i look around and this is what i see this is what i see uh, and uh, like the the origin of evil and suffering for me is not something I am haunted by or concerned about because I'm more concerned about the fact that it exists, that it's here. Like it's, it's, it's a, I, 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 I'm not going to know where it comes from. That doesn't mean I can't alleviate suffering that I experience or see, or like that my neighbor is experiencing, but I can do all that without the, 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 where does it come from feels very second order to me. Why is, where does it come from? even a question though didn't we already decide that we don't care 
I mean, it it becomes a question for like the 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 pastoral like. Oh uh, sure sure like, sure. Pastor, why is <laughs> this happening to me? Oh, oh, sure, 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 sure. I, I mean, I think that we could be here all day about the appropriate pastoral responses to that question. Um, but I think, I don't know why you went there. That just came out of left field for me. I think it's all connected. I think later on in the episode, like earlier on the episode, there was this question about its origin, right? And I think that, I think Ian is just responding to that. I, as a good process thinker, you know, evil doesn't really have an origin in process thought. Um, it just is. Yeah, it just is. Because it really is the, the sort of the, that, the refuse of the process, right, that we're, we're dealing with, right, you know, and, and, and God is dealing with too. Uh, yeah, I'm, where I bump up against also is the idea that maybe process thought is more has a stronger eugenics bent than any other kind of no i i i wouldn't say it has a stronger bent uh, but i we keep going I mean, that's why that, i mean that's what it sounded like that's why that's why uh you the two of you don't aren't convinced by it no is that no, I'm, I, I'm not convinced by it because I want God to be responsible for evil. Okay. You know, I, I, I think that any God, for me, this is purely confessional. I think that any God worth believing in is responsible. And so okay. like, I, I, I think that when process thought diminishes sort of what God does in the world and sort of God's power to do things in the world, in favor of of a god who is um at the same time entangled in the muck but not responsible for it i find that to be uh, a weird thing we we gain um i remember learning about open theism for the first time in seminary and i remember asking doug poe about it and doug poe said well it all depends on what you're willing to let go you know, like when you do, when we, when we decide what theologies we like, you know, it depends mm-hmm. on what you're willing to let go of, right? Like for open theism, open theists let go of God's um, knowledge of the future. God does, the future is totally open in, in terms mm-hmm. of its creativity between God and human beings, or God and all of creation. And, uh, and Doug Post like, if you're okay with, with letting go of, knowledge that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess and the tears will be wiped away and all of that stuff and there and god will be an all in all like if you're okay with taking that and saying maybe (laughs) then then open theism might be good for you but like if you need that maybe you shouldn't go down that road like that was what like he said to me and, and I think that that's true of a lot of things. And like, for me, I don't like process thought once again, not because I don't think every, that created things are in process or because I don't think they're entangled, but because I think that God um, should be judged for God's actions and inactions um, and that God should answer um, for being, for, for being the, the God who called us into existence and, and, and left us here, you know, 
Like, so, yeah, that sounds that sounds exactly right for me. So I feel like humanity is a bull in a china shop, and I'm real pissed that somebody built the fucking china shop. So, but how does that work if God is not a being? How how can a non how can something that is not a being do something like stand judgment, take responsibility, or take responsibility? Well, I don't know. I think that if this is why I say it's a very confessional move I'm making, sure. right? Like, like judgment doesn't have a ton of a doesn't have a high place in metaphysics, right? But like, uh, I think that confessionally, you know, if God is who I believe God says God is, and if God is what you know, we what I think has been revealed to us. Um, not just in the gospel, but in, you know, just different Christian communities doing their best to listen to the spirit, like, then I, I, I'm, I'm willing to hold on to the fact that God is things like the Lord of history and that God um, is the Alpha and the Omega and that God is the Holy One. And all of these names for God that the scripture and that the church and that communities who are seeking after God have named God as like, I think all of those things mean something and are true. Yeah. And I'm not saying you don't think that Ian, I, I, this is just my way of sort of understanding them. Um, And because of that, I've, I'm not interested in, in subscribing to, I love teaching theodicy and, and I think some theodicies are better than others for sure. But like, I'm not interested in subscribing to a theodicy in general, but certainly not one that um, 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 really does try to demonstrate how God is not responsible for anything bad. I think that God, if God is all of these things, then God is, of course, responsible. You know, does that mean that God did them? No. But God is still responsible for them, right? Like in the same way that I'm responsible for my kids when they do something bad, right? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. like I am. It's not the exact same, but it's a good enough metaphor, right? Well, it's a good yeah, enough analogy. Yeah. You know, like when Adrea – if Adrea does something bad at school, Adrea really did that. And so she should, she should face consequences for that. But I don't get to be like, eh, well – that was all Adrea. Yeah. That was all Adrea. Like, no, it's not. I'm I am responsible. I have been named responsible for her and I have taken that on and I should be held responsible. And it shouldn't be and the situation shouldn't be cast in such a way that that like Adrea must take responsibility for her own actions. This is connected to why I think um, sin is a reality that we live in and also why I think you personally are struggling with irresistible grace because I think that if, um, if the way you've presented the issue, the, the, the world Ian is true, but grace can ultimately be rejected, then there is no good news because if grace can ultimately be rejected and the world is in chaos and things just sort of form and emerge and, 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 and it's strife and struggle and entanglement and, and, and all of this stuff, 
then uh, there's really the only good news we can give people with that, if grace is resistible, ultimately, is um, maybe things will be okay. (laughs) But but that's not good enough. Right. Like that's not that's not how you uh, um, uh, bring, you know, uh, release to the captives and tear the rich down from their thrones and stuff. Right. Like the Magnificat isn't a maybe. It's a it's a it's a it's a promise, you know, and but but it's only a promise. This is what I think. This is purely what I think. You you might disagree, but it's only a promise if grace is irresistible. Okay, because otherwise it's a hope and we can hope, but we definitely don't want I don't think we want God to hope because if God sort of runs on hope, um, that's not that's not great. (laughs) Right. <laughs> like, like that's that's scary that's that's yeah. a all yeah. things could fall apart and i don't think it's good news but that's what i think cool yeah yeah i mean that's i know i've told the the tehard story on this podcast before what happens to tehard's scheme of the world or the cosmos if we all blow each other up in nuclear annihilation and he says that, you know, if if we all blow each other up in nuclear annihilation, that would be sad and that would not be great. That would not be good. But it doesn't dismantle the promise. It doesn't end the promise because God promised it. The promise might take another 150 billion years to be achieved, but it will still get there. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the that's that's what I am that's what I think about when I like think about grace and irresistible grace or inevitable grace, and it's as much affected like it 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 for me it as much comes from the uh, prevenient grace notion as anything else that God is like the power of the Holy spirit is working in and through everyone and everything and and everything will get washed out in the eschaton. This, this descriptively is going to be what it is. Everyone and everything will be, uh, will accept the power of the Holy Spirit, which is a Wesley's definition of what grace is. And, you know, that is very likely given how the church has acted in history, not going to happen in my lifetime. Probably it's not going to happen in my children's lifetime or my grandchildren's or great grandchildren's lifetime. But that is for me, like, I don't know how, like, and, and this might be for, for, from an open perspective, it's, it's not that God doesn't know what's going to happen. God knows what's going to happen, but God doesn't know how it's going to happen. Hmm. Um, the the 
all of the threads that could be from our individual choices or whatever um, will get to this place, but we don't know how it's going to get to this place. That's, that's, that's behind the veil of mystery. Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. I love that again. I really do. And for me, I think mystery is just uh, the right space to sort of fall into um, when we're talking about this stuff. Certainly when we're talking about the eschaton, but definitely when we're talking about sin, right? Like the, I think it's Kierkegaard who called it like sin is impossibility. You know, okay. it, it should not, it should not be. And yet here it is, you know, it should not be that, that everything is fucked in a, <laughs> in a, in a particular way, like in that way that we can't, we can't root out and try as hard as we can. We don't seem to be able to root it out. Like we can improve things, but those improvements always come at a cost and could easily stop working. You know, mm-hmm. and and I guess what I'm just saying is is like leaning on that mystery of of how or what or you know all of that stuff. I think that helps keep us. I think it helps keep our tendencies um, at bay a little bit to either force things to happen or or give up or I don't know try to try to see the relationship between God and the world in a mechanical way, you know, when, when none of it is like that, it's all organic and spiritual and, and a little bit more like uh, the mystery of life (laughs) rather than um, uh, a machine that God and and us just have to tune right Mm -hmm. in order to make it work, Mm. Um, which I like. Joe, what do you think? Any final words? No. All right. <laughs> um, no, I ha- I mean I have I have a bunch of thoughts, but I think that um I don't know, I think an over-reliance on mystery is cheating. Um sure. but I don't think that we overly rely on mystery, you know? Mm-hmm. Um I think we invoke it in places where like there we have not we don't have an answer and um we are beating our head against the wall to get an answer and in the place of struggle we trust and lean into mystery and see what comes out of it i think that's fine um (laughs) yeah cool i mean i i like that word struggle um uh, yeah i know know. (laughs) (laughs) uh just just because that's well, that's that's what the nature of the 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 children of God is to struggle with God to wrestle with God, hmm. and here we are in the struggle. Yeah, but there's also manna, right? Like the story is wider <laughs> than just Joseph being a dick. Not Joseph. What's Jacob. his face? Jacob <laughs> wrestling with the angel. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. 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 Cool. Okay. Did uh, we uh, did we get to the irresistible grace stuff that you wanted to? Uh, yeah, I, I, for the most part, I'm just really fascinated by by you like sort of identifying that term for your like like in your own thinking. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I it just strikes me as such a. I, so I'm I'm all for it. Like I think that grace 
has to be ultimately irresistible, even if it can be historically resistible. Yeah. Like, I think it has to ultimately be irresistible for it to be grace at all and for God to be, you know, something that is has any content, right, has any right. meaning. And so I, I really, I'm, I'm into it. I think that the reason why I'm fascinated by your use of it is because I think that there is something, um, and this is a good thing. This is something I like from anybody. I love it when like theologians or, or people um, think and push against their own like metaphysics, right? Like I think theologians, I, I think, I think a theologian who desperately tries to like adhere to like Plato or, or, Alfred North Whitehead or any folks like that over the confession, I think will get things both wrong, but also be really boring. Right. Like I, and so I always love like, cause in, you know, in, in a lot of, a lot of just like non-Christian process metaphysics, like there's no such thing as the end. There is no eschaton in Alfred North Whitehead. Uh, there is no end of the process. You know, the process is the only stable thing that exists and it's inherently, you know, fluid and unstable. Um, you know, Alfred North White had imagined because God can change Alfred North White had imagined that maybe one day, maybe six, seven, eight millennia, there will be no creature who utters the name God. Um, does that mean God won't exist? No, of course God will still be, you know, the God that Whitehead describes. But like maybe create, maybe the world will look absolutely nothing like anything that we've seen so far, and neither will God. But um, I don't know. That's all fine, but that's not the eschaton, right? You know, and and I love like, I just love the idea that like for for the best theologians you know for for the theologians that i love to read the most or that like i love to talk to the most you know like you ian like well thank you we are of course we are you know and you joe i'm not we was just a debate between me and ian i'm not excluding you um <laughs> no. uh, um like we are uh we are doing our best to let our metaphysical ideas help us but in the moments when they stop helping us, we just say they're not that important, <laughs> you know, and I like that. Like I do that, too. You know, I, I love a lot of classical theism because I think a lot of classical theism is really lovely. Um, and I think but I think that the best Christian classical theists are Christians first, you know, are, are people that go um, something has happened to me. And and. I've met Jesus somehow and, and, and the things that other Christians say are true about Jesus are true to me and, and I think are important. And so if Plato can help me, great. But the moment Plato stops helping me, we're done. I, we're done. Like, like I'm yeah. just going to go, I'm just going to go with Jesus, you know, or I'm just going to go with what I see in, in, in the teachings of the church. So I love Irenaeus, right? Like, Irenaeus is able to say, well, of course God can be a human being and, and be fully God. And, and 
everybody around him who's into you know Greek philosophy at the time goes, but how can that be? And Irenaeus looks at them and goes, I'm not going to defend this point because if we are not prepared to start with this point, Christian conversation ends. Yeah. Right. Right. That's what I love. I love that because then it prompts Irenaeus to make incredibly creative contributions because of limitation and because of the, you know, his, the scope of, of how he wants to think. It's easy if you're not limited. Well, you know, that's, that's not what I mean. It's not that it's easy to come up with creative things when you're not limited. It's easy to come up with coherent things when you're not limited. Um, it's easy to come up with systems when you're not limited. But when you are limited, you have to, I don't know, you have to speak some poetry as well yeah. <laughs> yeah. in order to kind of make it work. Like if it's it's easy to just say this world is fucked and bad, but it's harder to say that if you also have to maintain that God made it and called it good. Right, right. Yeah. And And that limitation is what gives us robust theologies of the sin and fall rather than a Gnostic theology that just says this world sucks. Right. Is inherently fallen. Right. And I like that. I think that's a good thing. Yeah. Cool. Sure. Well, Ethan, you want to sign us off? I can. Friends, thanks for listening. This has been a mini-sode of What the Hell is a Pastor. We are Spanx, Reebok, The Dude, and John Wesley. We will see you next time. What the Hell is a Pastor is a part of the Disruptive Disciples Podcast Network. Our theme song is written by Joe Schomolf, performed by Joe Schomolf, Ian Uriola, and Paul Uriola, and produced by Paul Uriola. Find us across the internet at WTHIAP or visit us at WTHIAP.com to get connected to our Patreon, merch, and some other stuff. Thanks for listening. And remember, friends, Ethan gave me all the money in his wallet.